This year, build your credit history with the Chime Secured Credit Builder Visa Credit Card. No credit checks to apply. Get started at Chime.com build. The Chime Credit Builder Visa Credit Card is issued by the Bancorp Bank N.A. or Stride Bank N.A. members FDIC. Chime checking account and 200 qualifying direct deposit required to apply. At that point as a senior, we're coming off the Elite Eight run. I was established as a college basketball player and a contributor to the, our program and a contributor on the national level. Um, but I wasn't necessarily uh, producing the way that, I, again, individual stats that I wanted to produce. And so really, it's just kind of coming out at some point. You kind of have to uh, kind of buy into what you believe, right, and buy into the culture. That was Gonzaga legend Matt Santangelo, the scrappy point guard who helped lay the brickwork for the program's rise to national prominence. He's the director of Spokane Hoop Fest, the world's largest three-on-three basketball tournament, and he's today's guest. Welcome to Dan Dickow's quarantine series on the Scorebook Live Today podcast. As the world, particularly the world of sports, is shut down due to the coronavirus, we're ramping things up a notch here at Scorebook Live. Every weekday, Dan interviews an expert in the world of sports, from star hoopers and coaches like Steve Kerr, Jamal Crawford, and Doug Christie, to seven-time Mr. Olympia bodybuilder Phil Heath. We hope you're entertained and maybe learn a thing or two as we navigate these uncertain times. The easiest way to tune in is by subscribing. In addition to our weekly Washington High School Sports News and Conversation podcast released Thursdays, hosted by myself, Andy Bueller, fellow reporter Todd Millis, Dan is bringing you interviews just like this one delivered five days a week. Head to wherever you get your podcast, subscribe for free, and while you're there, leave a review. We'd love to hear from you. Before we get to Dan's interview today, a word from our sponsor. This podcast is brought to you by Washington Federal. Washington Federal is a local bank and portfolio lender with more than 200 branches across eight states, more than 32,000 fee-free ATMs, 24-7 online and mobile banking with drive-up ATMs. And Washington Federal is a proud sponsor of Scorebook Live. They care deeply about high school sports and the communities that support them across the entire state of Washington. Head to wfdbank.com to learn how they can help you meet your financial goals. That's wafdbank.com. Washington Federal, a neighbor you can count on. We hope everybody's staying safe and healthy. We're just as excited for high school sports to return as you are. Now, Dan Dickow. Dan Dickow, Scorebook Live. Today with our podcast during our quarantine series, where if you've been listening, following along, we've uh, brought you an expert in the world of sports during these uncertain times in the nation as well as the, the world. Uh, and these experts could be an athlete, a former athlete, a coach, a front office executive, a broadcaster. Today's guest can check a lot of those boxes. He runs maybe the most unique event as it pertains to basketball in the entire world. None other than 1995 Central Catholic graduate from Portland, <laughs> uh, former Gonzaga great, helped lead them to their first Elite Eight run, Matt Santangelo. Matt, appreciate you joining. How is yeah. your family in Spokane right now? Yeah, thank you for having me on. We're, you know, we're hanging in there. Um, certainly, as you mentioned, there's a lot of uncertainty. Um, uh, we're, we're very, very fortunate that uh, uh, for now, both mine and my wife's jobs have created a lot of work. She works at Gonzaga University. 
Um, so a lot of um, uh, logistics around um, her department, which is housing and residence life. So all those students that all of a sudden school is done and how, what do you do with the dorms and campus living and all of your things. Uh, and there's certainly a ton of planning on our, for my day job. Um, and so that with, you know, as you know, with kids running around trying to figure out some structure and some homeschool, um, you know, it's been a, it's been a challenge, but, uh, we're have our health, we're safe. Uh, we have our jobs, uh, at the moment. So we're very, very fortunate. Uh, it's great to hear that you guys are all healthy and, and figuring out the homeschool thing. That's a challenge yeah. for a lot of us right now. And luckily with what I do with Scorebook Live is, you know, we've taken the podcast from a weekly thing to more of a daily interview where we release things. And, and as mentioned, experts in the world of sports in different roles. You had a very successful playing career. Um, you were all state in the state of Oregon coming out of high school. You had a, a terrific career at Gonzaga. Um, what was it at your time at Gonzaga, um, that you most remember? Yeah, well, I just remember, um, well, I guess two things. One is I, I really enjoy this story. Uh, it's between when coach Fitzgerald, who was the head coach at the time and coach few, who was the, um, assistant coach, second assistant coach, uh, they, and coach few recruited guards. So he and he and Fitz, uh, recruited me out of high school. And I remember, and I, I, uh, both of them in my parents' living room in North Portland. And I remember Fitz kind of giving me the pitch. And the pitch was, went something like this. It was like, no one's bigger than the program. No one. But if I had a basketball, I would hand it to you and say, we're going to go where you're going to take us. And I fell for that hook, line, and sinker. Now, as a father and an adult now, I realize he probably said that to every kid in every living room that he ever sat in. Um, but for that one, I, I believed it wholeheartedly. I come from a large family. I'm the youngest of nine kids. Uh, we didn't grow up with a lot uh, of stuff, but we did grow up with a lot of love and support. Um, and so I always knew just go to a dinner, the dinner table with not with eight brothers and sisters, you know, pretty quickly, you're not the, you know, the end all be all. You're kind of just a part of the group trying to do the best you can. And I really believed in that. But Gonzaga gave me the chance to have influence on where the program and team was going to go. And that's how I remember it. I remember playing for my teammates. I remember uh, learning uh, from great, uh, you know, college athletes uh, that went on to be great professionals as well and great uh, adults and members of our community now. Um, but I just remember it never really being about me. It was always about the group. It was always about getting better. It was always about the, you know, it's a cliche now, but it wasn't back then, but trust the process. It was about creating daily habits, good habits each and every day. And the byproduct of that was that we went out and won games. Um, even though that was, you know, ultimately the goal, we did that daily in the way we approached uh, our group as a team and how we worked. And that's what I remember. It's just really playing for your, your guys, you know, playing for your teammates, playing for, um, you know, want, not wanting to let them down, wanting to lift them up in certain cases, needed to be lift up, lifted up in other cases. Um, and just that feeling that comes, comes from all that is what I remember most. You mentioned Coach Dan Fitzgerald. Um, you know, I kind of look at him as the architect of, of Gonzaga basketball, and, and unfortunately he doesn't get as much um, respect or notoriety or recognition yeah. for really kind of laying the blueprint. You were unique in the fact that you played for Coach Fitzgerald, you played for Coach Dan Monson, and you played for Coach Few. Um, you're one of the foundational pieces. When you look back – on the 20-some years now that they've made NCAA tournament runs, how much pride do you have in the fact that you were connected to all three of those coaches and you were one of the first pieces to really help it get going? 
Well, I, I don't know. Um, I am certainly proud. I'm going to be kind of a smart aleck now, but just the fact that you know Fitz and I know Fitz just ages us. That all it did was age us <laughs> way back, which I'm not so proud about. I'm not proud about that. Um, no, I, I'm really grateful because what Fitz did, and as you said, he was a, a piece of this whole thing that uh, he, he doesn't get the recognition he deserves. Because when we talk about what it means to be a Zag, uh, which is a, you know, kind of a popular thing in our little Gonzaga community, not little, but the Gonzaga community describing, mean, we're really talking about a characteristic, a personality characteristic, that grit, that determination, that hard work, that blue collar mentality, that play for your teammates, play for your, um, uh, the community around you. Uh, that's what it means to be a Zag. And you can't, you know, it's unfortunate that when you talk about those things, you don't talk about Dan, Dan Fitzgerald doesn't get mentioned very often. Um, because he was that blue collar. I mean, it was kind of a source of pride. Like we maybe were our group. I think I don't want to sell us short. We were pretty talented. We were pretty athletically gifted. We were a good group, but maybe the groups before us more had the reputation for, uh, overachieving, like hardworking lunch pail type mentality, um, type of groups. And the kind of the mantra was like, Hey, you might beat us, but when we go through the handshake line, there will be a mutual respect because you would have had to earn it. Um, and that's kind of that Fitzgerald bravado, that Fitzgerald mentality. Um, that really is, a found, as you mentioned, a foundational piece of the whole program um, and culture at Gonzaga. Um, so I think that, that that's a big one. I think the other things, like as it went, even with Fitz as head coach for my redshirt year and my freshman playing year, um, he really gave a lot of autonomy to Munson, to Coach Few, to Coach Greer. Greer coach Billy Greer was their grad assistant. Um, to run those things. Munson was kind of the uh, defense kind of uh, football mentality attitude that he brought to it. Few was the technician that he is now, you know, learning those skills, but kind of that approach to the game. Uh, Greer was more defensive technical side of the, of the basketball, but Fitz gave them a ton of autonomy. So as we saw a transition from Fitz to Munson and to Few, from a team's perspective, it really felt like great continuity um, because those pieces were already in place even, as, even when Fitz was the head coach. I love that uh, that term continuity in reference to the coaching staff. There's continuity every summer in Spokane with one of the greatest basketball events in the entire world, and that's Spokane Hoop Fest. Uh, you have been in charge uh, of the event now, I believe, for seven years, if I'm not mistaken. This will be my – I started in April of 14. So I just passed six years working there, and this will be my um, – uh, this will be my sixth event, 25 to year 25, to year 31. So obviously it's an enormous event regionally for the Spokane area and the, in the Eastern Washington region. A lot of people in Spokane, Portland area, they've gotten to become very involved and support the event. Um, we've got a, a number of listeners across the country that maybe have never heard of Spokane Hoop Fest. And I don't think, I can do it justice in explaining what Hoop Fest is. Please explain to our listeners just how big Spokane Hoop Fest yeah. is. Well, I'll do my best here. Here's the kind of the elevator pitch. And I also, I also want to lead with the fact that in 2020, uh, the event turns 31 years old. So I've only been involved for the last six, but this is a long-standing tradition. Um, and in a lot of ways, precedes Gonzaga's basketball prominence on the national scene. Hoop Fest was already a phenomenon uh, before Gonzaga basketball um, became a household name uh, in college basketball. But Hoop Fest is the largest three-on-three -three basketball tournament in the world. 
there are roughly 6,000 teams that descend upon Spokane, Washington. That equates to about 24,000 athletes. And we literally play on the streets. We shut down 45 city blocks, three square miles of our center, core of our downtown area in our city, uh, Riverfront Park, beautiful park in the middle of downtown, the Spokane River. Uh, and we literally turned this place into Hooptown, USA. Uh, from teams and players from all over the world. 2019, for example, uh, we had 44 states represented in our registration in six countries. So literally is a global event right here in Spokane, Washington. Um, it's done, uh, again, we can't stress this enough, but it's done on the shoulders of about 3,000 volunteers. Um, we're a small not-for-profit, not 501c3 not-for-profit organization. There's eight full-time staff. Uh, and then, like I said, the 3,000 volunteers, roughly, that it takes to execute the event on the weekend. It's a four-day event. Thursday, Friday are kind of like event attractions, uh, different entertainment. And then Saturday, Sunday are the tournaments. We have athletes of all ages and backgrounds. So this is an important one. We have, you know, historically, it's been, um, I like to call them recent second-grade graduates, because it's the summertime, end of June, um, all the way up to last year, we had a 78-year-old play. We got guys that have played to, to the levels where you've played. We have guys that have played to the levels where I've played. And we got people that haven't touched a basketball since last Hoop Fest. We have athletes of all abilities. Uh, we, we have a special relationship with Special Olympics. Uh, we have wheelchair athletes, parasport athletes um, uh, represented. It's our most vibrant, diverse, and inclusive weekend of the year. Um, and then for the business people out there, it, it generates about a $50 million economic impact to the region because of that, the tourism dollars and the money spent on the weekend. Um, and it's all homegrown, Spokane true, uh, born and raised right here in, the, in this, this town that now you, that's the city that you and I call home now. That's so unbelievably and awesome to hear more of the numbers and the details behind the impact and the amount of volunteers that help put on the event obviously you had a tremendous playing career um and we'll touch on more of that as we get going with the conversation because i'd love to hear some of your stories playing professionally in europe but you were a point guard at gonzaga you were a point guard through and through during the course of your career so you've always had to be a leader and kind of delegate assignments or or take feedback and kind of put it in the right terms that other people can understand how did your career as a point guard and a leader prepare you to lead 3,000 yeah. volunteers and put on this event? Well, you know, I think, I think that's two, twofold. One is I, I always I say, like, I'm kind of an unlikely leader. Like, I don't, I don't think I was necessarily the, the alpha, especially in the sports world, people will relate. You know, the alpha, give me the ball at the end of the game. This is my shot. I'm going to win it or lose it. I was more like no one else in the huddle wanted to raise their hand and go like, hey, I'll take the last shots. And I was like, Oh crap! Oh fine, give me the ball, you know, and I'll go do it. Because not so much because I wanted the success, is that I could shoulder the failure. Like I, I was, I, I could handle that responsibility. Um, fortunately, there was more successes than failures, but the the sentiment was the same. So I think, uh, I think for all of that, uh, and then being a point guard, as you know, at the end of the day, I mean, this is something I really remember well about Coach Few. Is like he told me straight up it did not matter what my stats were. The only one that mattered were wins and losses from the point guard spot. You know, it didn't matter if I scored 20 or scored zero, as long as it was a win and loss. And I think you certainly can relate to that and probably have some great stories around that same, um, same mention from Coach Few. Um, and so really that translates pretty well into a business environment. 
because at the end of the day, like when I, when I explain my role at, at Hoopfest, it's kind of a point guard. You're just kind of a resource manager, you know, like if it's a, if it's a tough decision or a, a tough situation, yeah, you step up and you, you make the play. If it's not, you let other, you defer, you let other people make the play and it's okay. As long as the whole ship is moving in the right direction, wins and losses or a successful event, a safe event, um, then it's okay. You know, and that's kind of ultimately my role is, is just managing that. Now there's a lot more, uh, the technical side of running a business is so even if it's a small business, I think that so there's a lot to learn there and it's not to, to undersell the, um, you know, the skill set that's involved there. But at the end of the day, you just surround yourself with good people and you look good. If people are making jumpers, like you're a wonderful coach, right? I mean, it's not rocket science. If you have good people around you, good players in their spots and you're making them better with your complimentary skill set, you know, I hope that that ends up in a pretty successful endeavor, whatever that endeavor is. You mentioned the, the Coach View comment about the numbers don't matter. It's the win and loss record. I, I had many of those conversations myself, especially my redshirt year, which was your senior year, um, yeah. getting myself ready to, to take over the reins for, for the program that you had gotten on such an a unbelievable trajectory. But he always said, I don't care how many points. I don't care how many assists. I kind of care how many turnovers you have, but it's about the win-loss. And that absolutely stuck with me. Is there a – and I know you had a tremendous amount of memories because you had an Elite Eight run, you had a a Sweet 16 run. Is there one that really maybe sticks out in your mind at Gonzaga that uh, you'd like to share? Well, I I think for me, I mean, just talking about stats, I really do think about senior year. um, And, you know, we didn't have – well, I, I kind of, I was one of the ones that kind of felt the pressure of the senior year. You know, I really, really wanted to play at the, the next level. Um, and I wasn't a, kind of ashamed or embarrassed to say it, even though I don't necessarily believe I was ever quite capable of doing it. Um, different conversation. But in senior year, I kind of started to feel that pressure. You know, I wasn't scoring the ball well. I wasn't putting up the stats. Like, we were winning, but I wasn't necessarily bought into that philosophy. It's like, just win, just win, just win. Um, even though my, uh, the, the game kind of, uh, ended up that way. Um, and so I really struggled on the flip side of that same coin. I remember a game against Idaho that I believe we played in the old kennel, uh, and being really upset after the game in the, in the training room with Steve DeLong, the, the great Steve-O, um, that I didn't have the personal stats. I mean, we probably won by 40, uh, and I didn't necessarily have the stats to go along with it my individual stats. I just remember sitting there with him um, and working through those emotions of really what, what, do, what am I buying into? What's the culture that I'm buying into? I was at that point as a senior, we we're coming off the elite eight run. I was established as a college basketball player and a contributor to the, our program and a contributor on the national level. Um, but I wasn't necessarily uh, producing the way that I, again, individual stats that I wanted to produce. And so really it's just kind of coming down at some point, you kind of have to, uh, kind of buy into what you believe right and buy into the culture uh, and those are moments that stick with me more so than on the flip side of you know winning a big game and, and not having uh, the accolades or winning or losing and, and having the individual success like that was one that really kind of hammered that point home for me um, in the fact that winning and losing is what matters before the what the team does uh, is what matters uh, and that sometimes takes individual sacrifice you Finish with that last piece you said, what the team does is what matters. And I think also the other person that you made a comment or a reference to, Steve DeLong, um, he was a trainer for Gonzaga basketball for years, a close friend of John Stockton's. 
to this day, John Stockton is always recognized and remembered as the greatest player in Gonzaga history, and that should never change. Yep. Best point guard ever in my, in, in my opinion. I had a ch- I've gotten a chance to know him over the years, especially as a, as a college student athlete, and curious because you were probably the, the, the first really, really good point guard to come out of Gonzaga since John Stockton. Do you have any unique stories or memories of, of getting to know John? Well, I was really fortunate because, as you know, like he would come uh, work out with us all fall. Well, I, when I first started working out with him, um, he invited me to some of the individual works. I would go shoot with him in the morning, and then he would come in the afternoon and go open gym. Uh, and I remember at that time, um, you know, people had kind of um, insinuated that guards couldn't keep up with him. Like they would, you know, they might make one workout or two workouts. Uh, but then they kind of fall off as far as the individual work. And then, of course, they play with him in the afternoon. I just never – are, like, are you kidding me? Like, I, just soak it up as much as you can. The thing that, that I remember – I have two stories that I remember specifically. One is we would go through our shooting drills. And, of course, he's a tremendous shooter, over 50% career field goal, 19 – I mean, all the superlatives and accolades that go along with John Stockton's uh, basketball playing career. And so we would go through our shooting drills. And then we'd end up playing one-on-one. And you would think that we were big two, six, nine oafs in the one-on-one games because they would just turn into post-up games. This was a little bit towards, you know, kind of towards <laughs> the tail end of his career. Um, you know, not that he has a whole bunch of shake anyway, you know, in his game. So, like, he would just – and we, we would just pound on each other. And at some point, I'd just be laughing because you'd be in, like, Charles Barkley, you know, the 50-second dribble of this one-on-one possession trying to battle – and then you'd finally get a shot up, and then he'd call foul, or I'd call foul. I'm like, this isn't like this isn't one on one. This is not making either one of us better, other than the competitive fire. But the one story I really love is a, um, actually my wife, who's sitting right over here. Uh, she's from Utah, and we dated uh, all through college. We met freshman year, second semester freshman year in college. And so I remember one of these workouts, and and kind of talking with my wife uh, at the time, my girlfriend, and I said, you know, would you like to meet John Stockton again? She's from Utah. So that was a, a, you know, it would be quite a thing to meet the, the John Stockton. So I went up to John really sheepishly. And at that time, I only called him Mr. Stockton. I never even called him John. I go, Mr. Stockton, you know, could I please, um, my girlfriend, uh, Utah, can I, can I please introduce her? And he goes, well, would you introduce her to your professors? And I said, well, yeah. And he was like, would you introduce her to your family? I was like, yeah, they, she'd already met my family. And I think he was trying to like qualify it. Like, was this a girlfriend I just met, you know, at breakfast or is like is this a, a, a girlfriend? As I, as I say, and he said, then yeah, you introduce her to me. And so in the Martin Center, she was actually standing out in the hallway. So I kind of look over, okay, come on, quick, quick, quick. And she runs over and, and, and meets Mr. Stockton at the time. Um, and of course, like you now, we're, you know, there's a lot more familiarity because of our time here in Spokane and everything else. So now it's, it's a, a great friendship and when there's a good banter back and forth. Um, but those two stories are, are one-on-one times and me you know, getting working out with them and, and sticking with it. And then, uh, and then kind of a fun one when he, when I was able to introduce Kathy to him. I love those stories about John Stockton because not a lot of people know that side of him. And the first time that I ever met John uh, was my red shirt year um, right before we were about to play pickup with the Gonzaga group. And I, I walked into the gym knowing that everyone said John played every every fall in the afternoon. Yeah. And so it was finally my chance to, to 
beat John Stockton and play against John Stockton. I walked up to him and stretched, reached my hand out and said, hi, hi, John. My name is Dan Dickow. I just transferred here from the University of Washington. And he goes, nice to meet you. And he reached his hand out and he said, I'm John Stockton. And I'm like, I'm shaking my head like, I know who right? you are. There's no yeah. reason you need to say your name. I've only seen you in the NBA for the last however many years. You right. right. It, it, no, and it's always like he's so consistent. He's so true to himself. You know, it's never – it's just – it's like his basketball game. It's just consistent. He's just the, the same um, high-value character value, high values as a, as a father and husband and just – He's just a really, really good guy, and he's he's a guy that, you know, even now he's just he's a soccer dad now. Um, uh, but you listen, you hang on every word, like you listen to what he says. There's just so much wisdom and value, um, and measured um, uh, consideration in the, in what he chooses to share with people. And I think that that's he's just he's awesome. And then the fact that you know we get to know him yeah. um, as adults and in post college basketball career and every post basketball career. Um, is just really a, a fortunate thing. So we touched a little bit about your college experience, and, and you had a, a really nice professional career over in Europe. And I, I don't think enough people understand the grind that it is to live in Europe when you're used to playing and growing up over here in the States and you're kind of taken care of in the college setting. You went and played for seven years. You played in, in a, a few different countries. Italy, Greece, and Poland come to mind quickly from knowing your career. Are there any – memories that would just kind of make somebody shake their head and say that really happened because I have a well, few got, in my playing career and I'd love <laughs> to hear any of yours well I got two quick ones one because you talked about like playing in, in, in the United States and playing in Europe but I'll give one the first one has to give context to the second one so the first one it was my first play uh place I played was in Greece and we actually sat in dugouts like, if you ever see a soccer game on TV, a European soccer game, they have the plexiglass kind of overhangs on the benches. Well, they use those in basketball, too. And the idea was that so people could not throw things at the back of your head. Like, that was – it was protection. So that was a little bit of context of where, uh, you know, the style of play. Now, you're talking about, um, you know, smaller scale. Like, I played in front of 1,000 people in Greece. I played in front of 23,000 people in Greece and everywhere in between in my uh, career in Europe. So all different sizes. And they were rowdy. I mean, it's, it's a rowdy bunch. Um, and so my first year, I played half the year in Greece. And then I uh, had an opportunity to move to Italy. So about Christmas time, I moved to Italy my first year as a pro. So when I moved to Italy, I was on this small team called Cantu. And Cantu was in between Milan and Lake Como. And we were playing Siena, which was a big team. So big team's supposed to beat the little team, not supposed to be that, that big of a deal. But we're playing them in Cantu. And Cantu was awesome because the, the mascot was a bulldog. I got to wear 13 again. And so it was like these little, like all these little creature comforts, you know, like these little touches of home that made it more comfortable to be so far away from home. And so we're playing Siena and we play them close. Like we're one possession, less than a minute. I, I want to say maybe five or six seconds left, a guy steps to the line for Sienna and ices it, puts it up, puts him up two possessions. So it was close game back and forth. And again, we weren't supposed to be that close. And after he shoots his second free throw to ice it, he runs down the sideline and spits at our crowd, not knowing that our president, who at the time was this late sixties, early seventies, Italian man of honor, didn't speak any English, sits mid-court. So he was spitting at our president. 
So I'm going to get the ball out of bounds on the baseline. The guard who's guarding me, I forget who it is, but he's an American. And so he's picking me up full court to slow me down. So I kind of run down the floor, run the clock out, shoot a three, and, you know, that's the game. So I'm going to get the ball. I'm looking over my shoulder to kind of take assessment of what's going on in the game. And I see this 70-year-old man of honor come out of the stands, over the barrier, and across the court. He's going to kill this kid. I mean, you disrespect me in front of, you know, my people. These are his fans. And we played probably in the – it's probably a 7,500-seat building. So it means a good crowd. And I'm just going like – and then the guard who's guarding me against American, and he's looking over his shoulder. So all the action's behind us. He's looking over his shoulder, and we both make eye contact like, where are we? Like, what's happening right now? And I start thinking – I remember kind of half smirking and probably after the game, but I was like, just a couple months ago, we were in the Sweet 16 of the NCAA tournament, one of the greatest sporting events known to the world. You know, Gatorade, or at that time it was Powerade, and, you know, cheerleaders and TV breaks and attention and all the things that happened in the NCAA tournament. And now here I am in this little city in Italy, you know, fearing for my life because of this guy spit at our fans. And so sure enough, they get Sienna back into the locker room they have to stay in the locker room for like six hours. They can't even leave the locker room until about two in the morning when finally the crowd kind of dissipates and they sneak them onto the bus and drive them on out. Nothing ever happened beyond that. But I was like, Oh, you gotta be kidding me. Like what is happening here? Um, that was my first year as a pro. <laughs> there's other, there's a lot of other stories that Bob and weave inside of those. You know, and all the times that we've had a chance to, to talk basketball and experiences, I've never heard that when I love it. <laughs> it, it epitomizes, uh, professional sports um at least that i've experienced as well over in europe very well that is awesome before i let you go and i really appreciate all the time today matt yeah um, as i mentioned earlier we've got people throughout the state of washington and, and a few other people throughout the country that listen to this podcast if they either want to one become involved as a volunteer to help spokane hoop fest which will move from june to august yeah. this year due to all the uncertainties with the COVID-19 pandemic yep. or if you want to get involved and play at this unbelievably unbelievable event how could they do one of those two things yeah so I'll, I'll touch on the COVID thing first because I think that's really important um, obviously completely different year than than normally usually for those that don't know um, Hoop Fest is always the last weekend in June um, it has been for 30 years um, kind of a fun story on how they arrived at that. When they were originally planning this event in 1988, 1989, they looked at the Farmer's Almanac, and that was the weekend that had the least amount of precipitation in the entire year. And that's why they picked the last weekend in June. Now, that was ended up being really fortunate because school's out, you know, gets out a couple weeks early, but summer really hasn't quite started yet. The, usually, Hoop Fest weekend is where the weather turns in this area. And then, you know, obviously July, especially for the basketball players, you kind of hit the summer circuit and you're traveling and doing different things. Um, so it ends up being really lucky for that weekend uh, where, where it fell. Uh, but with this year, with the, the uncertainty around the virus, uh, we were fortunate enough. I know it's, it's, it's both unfortunate and fortunate that we have to postpone, but that we did were able to find an alternative date, August 22nd and 23rd, um, to move this massive citywide event. Um, so we're, we're fortunate for that. And of course, we're watching all the, all the information surrounding large group gatherings and sporting events and everything else. But for now, it's August 22nd, 23rd, and we are going full steam at that. Um, but to learn more, to answer your question, SpokaneHoopFest.net, nothing but net, 
uh, is the website. And then at Spokane Hoop Fest on Insta, Facebook, and Twitter for all that information. Um, all the volunteer roles, there's a lot of different roles to be involved in. Our biggest need is court monitors. Those are the women and men that spend time on the courts. Uh, they're not referees, except for in the youth divisions, but in the adult divisions, they're more just managing the games, making sure they're on time, understanding of the rules, uh, mitigating tempers, you know, when, when the competitive juices flare. Um, but that's a big one. Our big thank you to those monitors are head to toe Nike gear from hat to shoes. Um, that's our way of saying thank you to those women and men that volunteer their time and talent over the weekend. Um, but there's a lot of different roles from team check-in to our store, to beverages, to um, uh, a lot of different various ways to get involved. That's all on the website. On the playing side, it's teams of four. So minimum three players, maximum four players. And really, it's not about, so you and I don't have to sign up for the, what are we, 28 now? We don't have to sign up for the, you know, the 25 plus division. Um, but what we do is, you know, the, you and I would sign up with Richie Fromm and Casey Calvary. And we, as on internally, would take an average height and average age of our, the four of us. And then we schedule you or us um, against teams that kind of look and feel the same like we do. Same average height around, average age around. And that's how we structure these tournaments so that you're kind of playing, you know, obviously that group would probably be pretty good. Um, we might end up, they might, we may have to bump us up to elite. GIF would bump us up to elite, even if we tried to send, sandbag and sign up for recreational or competitive. Um, but what it does is it allows the gameplay to be pretty fair, that you're kind of playing against teams that look and feel like your team. We have recreational, we have competitive, we have co-ed, um, obviously uh, uh, youth and adult divisions, and then elite divisions. All that information as well is found on the website. It's not that expensive to play. We revamped our uh, refund policy this year. So in the event that, you know, you sign up today, you get to the end of July and you're like, maybe everything's fine out there in the world, but you're not so confident or comfortable, you can still get a refund. Um, if in fact we have to pivot from August and make a change again, refunds will be given. So we really want people to be comfortable and confident and saying like, yeah, I want to look forward to Hoop Fest. I'm excited. I want to register, but I don't want to lose my money. And that's, that's not what we're trying to do at all. So that's the um, long extended uh, Hoop Fest update, but SpokaneHoopFest.net and at SpokaneHoopFest, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter for all the latest and greatest. Uh, August 22nd and 23rd for the first time ever, August Hoop Fest in August. <laughs> Well, Matt, I, I appreciate you sharing those ways for people to either get involved and help or play. And I've said this for years. I will play someday. Someday I will play in Hoop Fest. I know my, my, my oldest boy has played. He's had a tremendous experience. He loves it. Everybody in Spokane thinks it's one of the greatest uh, basketball events of the year, regardless if it's Spokane or Final Four or whatever. Uh, and I say that from the bottom of my heart. I appreciate uh, you being involved in such a great pioneer and leader with that event. So, Matt, thank you for all your time yep. uh, today with Scorebook Live today. And uh, look forward to connecting again soon, hopefully at one of John Stockton's pickup games where, <laughs> thankfully, we don't have to walk up sheepishly with our hand extended and say, hi, my name is such and such. What's yours? Yeah. <laughs> no, I, I appreciate it having the time. Um, I love what you're doing with Scorebook Live and reconnecting, especially now when with everyone sitting at home looking for stuff to do and ways to to be involved so i appreciate you getting me on the show and uh i look forward to meeting you out in public too and not uh, not via zoom hopefully soon all right thanks again matt take care and uh, stay healthy with your family all right thanks dan you too
Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.